talking. All right, good morning, Miss South Gardening. Does anybody want to hear about the saga of the patio? <laughs> <laughs> this is where the repeater is actually working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, that was a trip. I was thinking, I, I know I'm awake, but this sounds like a dream. She so, didn't want oh. me to come around here and sit yeah, by her forever, we so we'll just, sure by Jingy, we'll do that. Okay. It's like gardeners improvise on the run. That's right. <laughs> now it sounds like we're in an airplane. So anyway, the patio, the <laughs> patio. Okay, so yeah. let's see. The first, the first time, I was talking about how I had it all loaded up, and we noticed there was a crack. Well, I'm on the balcony, and there was a crack on the second one. So they come up, tell us to take all our plants off the patio, which makes me mad. And then I think, well, that's silly, because they're just trying to save my life. So we take them all off, take them in the house. Uh, a couple days later, put them outside, and there's three wasps in the house. I'm like, well, I don't know how, but they must have came in on, on the stuff that we carried in. And not thinking about it at all. And then there's five wasps in the house. Oh, we're going to run to a break. Be right back. <laughs> now there's... Call and talk with Jim, Veda, and Ken now. 844-747-8868. This is Mid-South Gardening. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Mid South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio Gardens, and I'm Jim Crowder. Welcome to the show. We've got Kenneth out for um, for today. Out just, you know, enjoying. Yeah, that's why I'm like, no. Do you know? I don't know actually. So I'm going to say enjoying. He's like everybody in this business works hard, like you know, seven days a week and sometimes eight. Right, and, and then, then you know, if you get a little time off, you know, you hurry to do as much as you, you can, can during that. Right. <laughs> And then you end up at the Botanic Gardens or yeah, uh-huh. on your trip, you know, down, you're running through the woods trying to find out what is that plant. So it's hard when you're a gardener. You're always gardening, no matter if you're on vacation or not. That's right. Yeah. So it's something fun to look at. No matter where you go, you, it's kind of like eating. You it go is. for the restaurants. Yeah. You eat. know, yesterday afternoon, I sat out on the deck just enjoying the nice weather, you know, and I began to look around and think, oh. Uh, I need to move that. Oh, no. um, that needs to be cut back. <laughs> you know? Wow, so. I can't believe that made it. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm working on, about to work on the containers. And I can't, I only have a certain amount of containers, so it's so hard to decide. Right. Yeah, <clears> what I want to do. So um, I think I'm going to do an ornamental grass in a container and maybe a Japanese maple because mm-hmm. it's fall. And then, um, then I'll have to switch them. Because I got to do something evergreen for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then it's spring. So I try to get things that I can put in containers that I can actually take back out and plant somewhere else. Yeah. With a few pansies and violas. You yeah. Know, you I know. always like to, you know, just put bark in the container and then drop pots in there. That's really know. easy. Right? And then, you know, if something gets broken or if it outgrows, well, you just yank it out and put something else in there. Yeah, that really is mm-hmm. easier, especially when you're going to just be interchanging right. through, the, through the whole season. You know, have a dwarf Alberta spruce in a container and you just drop it down in there, cover it with bark, and it looks like it's planted. And then, you know, come spring, yeah. you just pull it up out, out of there and, you know, set the pot and all mm-hmm. in the ground somewhere so it'll kind of take care of itself and yeah. put then in annual color. Move on. Um, you know, this whole time that it's the dwarf Alberta spruce, we're always like, it's too hot. 
It's really too hot or it doesn't get enough drainage. So we're kind of like, eh, so-so with those. But, man, there's this um, dwarf Alberta spruce that I just cannot believe it's still alive. It's still in a bucket, five-gallon mm-hmm. five gallon bucket. And it's a nice, good size, five feet tall, maybe two feet wide. And Perfect you know, conditions. Yeah, yeah, perfect conditions. <laughs> And it's set over in this location that gets full, full, full sun and just quite not enough water. It's moved over here. It's moved over there. It's got water. It's got too much, not enough. It's been there for, it's like I'm not trying to do anything to sell it because I'm, oh, it's all of a sudden an experiment. Mm -hmm. It's been there for a year and a half and it still looks great. Right. You know, sometimes we find plants that just defy logic as to why they're they're succeeding. And not far from my house, there is a blue atlas cedar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's absolutely beautiful, and it's been there, gosh, as long as I can remember. And I've been, we've been in the house about twenty years, you know, and it would add about an inch each year, you yeah, know. And wow. in the last few years, it's actually put on looks like three to four inches mm-hmm. a year, so it's up now, twelve, fifteen feet tall, but just spectacular, you know. It gets oh. all day sun. It's on a slope. That's one good plus okay. thing about it, but it's um, it apparently likes where it's at. Huh. So it's a slow grower until 20 years old, and then it grows about yeah. <laughs> four, four more inches. Yeah, I bet that is beautiful because, yeah. oh, I want to plant those. Well, you know, I'm afraid to take that um, blue spruce or dwarf Alberta spruce out of the container and cut the roots and plant it because then it'll hate it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be a uh, Christmas tree this year outside, and but... Like you said, no plant wants to die, but how does that one hang on? I'm still mystified with it. I, I thought, have I been here this whole time and it's artificial? <laughs> you know? But, and then um, for container plantings, I've got a good idea what we can do to make use of one little space. But we're going to run to a break. You've been listening to Mid South Gardening. If you have gardening questions, call us at 844 Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back. Oh, you know, I'm sure people want to know the rest of the patio story. I'm just dying to know (laughs) the saga of the patio. Okay, so then we took everything in, containers and all of that, took it back outside, you know, the three wasps that were in there. I I wasn't sure how they made it in. So then... um, next couple days it was three more wasps then it was five wasps and then it was eight wasps these are in days we're killing it i'm something is is there a hole in the ceiling or what are they coming in and so we're sitting there i'm thinking this is just impossible that we brought in that many wasps and didn't get stung and then my friend said um well we did leave that one table in here he goes maybe there was a wasp nest under it and I go, yeah, but there's no way we could have carried that in without, you know, 20 wasps eating us up. So we walked over the table real quiet, and I bend down and look, and I'm like, yes, there's a big wasp nest under there. But there was only two wasps. Apparently, they hatched out. How about that? Yeah, because, I mean, you could see where they had all been in there, and then it was open. The the paper, I guess, was open where they had hatched out. Mm-hmm. I mean, why did they hatch out? But that was insane that happened but i was like well it's warm inside and cool outside no that's not it 
I, I've been wondering, why would they hatch? Well, that's kind of what they're supposed to do. Yeah, but how long do they stay? You know, then I started thinking, how long does a wasp stay in its wasp nest before it hatches? Yeah, you'd have to Google that. I don't have a I know, like, like that's <laughs> something that I've ever wanted to know. But now I'm curious of how this all happened, you know. But So that's the saga of the patio, and I'm thinking maybe it's over. <laughs> so anyway, oh, and then the containers we were talking about. The one container that I did that's really cool is you can eat it, <laughs> not the container. Yeah, I would hope not. Yeah, not the container. But it's just you put parsley, Swiss chard, mustard, and pansies, and they're all edible. And there you have a real pretty container, and it's an edible container. So, but then uh, you'd have to replant it. Yeah, you see, I, I went on to that in my head, too, and I was like, well, I'm not going to think that far ahead. I'm just coming up with a good idea. Then you can figure it out after that. <laughs> but, yeah, so then I'll just keep munching it down through the ground and then have to. It'll grow back, though. Oh, it will. Yeah. yeah. But um, then the phenomenal lavender. I just got some of that. I'm looking forward to um, planting that in containers and just putting it all around the patio. It's a great plant. It It is. It really gets big. Does it? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. And it. Needs a lot of space in the garden. Good, good. I'm so, glad I told that lady just to put one in her container. I, I've got a an auto quash that I have planted. You know, it's grows more upright. It's an auto quasp. Auto quast. Q U A S T. Q U A. And it's not a it, lavender. It's a Spanish lavender. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, but it doesn't take up that much space. It grows upright. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like the smell of it, you know. Yeah. I get in there and I'm weeding, and so it gets all over me. Yeah, I like that too. So, but it's you know phenomenal. Can you know I've seen some five and six feet across. Mm-hmm. So I like the bloom on it. it it's a beautiful plant. Yeah. It's just you need a big garden to do that, you know. And I'm trying to have my own arboretum you know Mm -hmm. in a little under a quarter acre yeah (laughs) (laughs) and you've got everyone plotted out perfectly you cannot grow anymore yeah you've taken all your space and so then you're all of a sudden thinking if i drop something on that plant i can remove it and put something different it really won't be my fault because i didn't mean to drop it yeah i planted lavender in a bed last year and in september and it's a dry area, and it's around uh, the road, and the concrete surrounds it. And the lavender's doing awesome, mm-hmm. beautiful. And it, when it snowed, it didn't even kill the top off, actually. And it's just grown and grown. But unfortunately, I can't remember the name of it. It's not the phenomenal. It has thinner leaves. It's kind of lighter green. But that describes <laughs> a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So I wish I could figure out which one that was because I really like it. And then... And we're going to talk here. In fact, we may go ahead and start now. You know, Mm -hmm. with a little cooler temperatures, people are thinking about, uh, is it time to bring my houseplants in? Uh, And it's time to think about bringing your houseplants in. Yeah. You know, if you... There's some that don't really appreciate temperatures under 50. You know, things like Mm -hmm. crotons and... Crown of Thorns, yeah. uh, a lot of the the euphorbias don't uh, don't care for that, uh, but most plants will take you know into the upper thirties as long as there's no frost. Um, yeah, most plants, and I always just go to forty. Yeah, I have seen um, 
couple of years back, we had a winter where a lady had macho ferns on her front porch, which were underneath a uh, canopy. Mm-hmm. So it never frosted underneath there. But they survived the entire winter. There was enough heat generated off the house mm-hmm. that they stayed green. They didn't get damaged any, and it was just amazing. And I had somebody this week comment that they planted some in the ground, and they've survived two years now. Come back and, uh, you know. and and I'm at, and I always look at them and go, "Are you so sure it was a macho fern?" Yeah, because that's yeah, it's what you you know. One of them though is is a plant person, so mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they know okay. what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so that's safe thinking. Um, you know, it, of course, it it kills the top down, but mm-hmm. the ground has just been warm enough that it has survived. You yeah, know? so I've seen somebody's Kimberleys do that. But in this case, it took forever for them to come back. That's the thing. Like, I'm done. That's <laughs> the thing. You know, when you have plants like that, I, I used to try to save machos and in, mm-hmm. in Boston's. You know, I'd cut them back. I'd cut all the top off of them. Yeah. Put them in the attic. Yeah. And leave them there. You know, and check on them like three times during the winter time, <laughs> yeah. and then water them. But then it's August or September before they look mm-hmm. good again. Right. You know, when you can buy a nice fern basket for under twenty bucks. I know. Because think about it. It's just not worth carrying it over. It's really not. Yeah, Yeah. because think about it. 20 bucks is not so bad compared to climbing up the stairs in the attic with the ferns and then making sure they get water three times and bringing them back downstairs and then waiting. You know, or filling your garage and keeping your car out so you have to go (laughs) out and warm it up and get the frost off of it for your wife. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She's doing that on purpose so maybe take the plants out of the garage, right? Yeah. Yeah, the garages that hold so many uh, plant places because you had your birds i have my birds in there but i've sold all but one bird but i you know that's where i keep my plants during the winter time Mm -hmm. uh i had some extra light on them uh and and they did great in there you know a few years back i added an insulated door uh Mm -hmm. which really helped moderate the temperature in there and um, so it's it's really works well you know Uh, but like i say the car uh, goes outside Man, that would be a whole garage dedicated to just having fun with your birds and your plants and lights and all of that, mm-hmm. where it's nice and warm. When I go into the garden center every morning, it's uh, it feels humid in there mm-hmm. because we have so many plants in there. And I'm like, oh, open the doors, because I don't want to feel that humidity, <laughs> but I know the plants are loving it. And I've been kind of experimenting with the fiddle leaf fig, because mm-hmm. that's everybody's favorite now and especially with the millennials and the gen zers they're loving it but it's like one of the hardest ones to really grow so there was two fiddle leaf figs that were in two gallon buckets and they were getting dry but i didn't notice because i thought it was some some of the new inventory that came in and the top leaves were still um pliable so where they just had not stood up right because they had just mm-hmm. come in and uh, I noticed it for like another week. And I thought, wait, those should be perking up by now. And I felt the soil just concrete, basically. So I watered them all thoroughly. And that was like about three or four gallons of water to get through that horrible root ball of, of rock from being so dry. They perked back up. And I, so I thought they were going to get, you know, how they always get the black on the leaves. Mm-hmm. The perk back up and they're, they're fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking... That's more dry than I would have told anybody to keep their plant dry, but it seemed to be performing the best out of the ones that we babied more. Mm-hmm. 
It's wearing me out because they're gorgeous looking. So um, that's one plant maybe to get. But you have to have it in the light. You've got to have a lot of light. Yeah, you know, and of course, fiddly figs are great because they'll take lower light. You know, the general rule is the bigger the leaf, the less light that it actually needs to survive. Not Mm -hmm. thrive, but to survive. That's true. Uh, You know, that's why peace lilies do so well in low light. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they're big foliage. They're big Uh, foliage, and they have evolved an understory of, the jungles mm-hmm. or tropical areas where they they've come from and so they have a wider leaf to absorb light uh, so they work real well as houseplants um, you just sometimes we put them in too dark a corner and, yeah and remember also that these are these are, are just little plants that's all the, there's small seedlings or saplings mm-hmm. of plants that get 100 feet tall. Right, yes. So, <laughs> you know, I know, I like to... There's going to be a time when it's going to outgrow your place, and, you know, and and uh, that's when you, you, you donate it to the zoo or something mm-hmm. where they, you know, have need so many plants because animals tear them up. And I never thought about donating to the zoo. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good place if you've got really large plants is donate them to the zoo. Ooh, I've got a lot of kids' gloves to yeah. donate. The so birdhouse particularly is... The monkeys could wear the kids' gloves if well, I donate I'm, them to the zoo? I think probably not. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what, after I rudely interrupted you? That's all right, that's all right. But, yeah, if you've got big plants, it's a good place, you know. Like I said, the birdhouse, the plants get torn up by the birds and so it's uh, it's a nice nice thing to do huh. to get rid to yeah that gives me give a them another idea. life well uh you know how you just said survive and thrive difference okay so we have oh i can't remember the name of the palm but a palm one is that we've got them in the same time 15 gallon containers probably both of them eight feet tall three feet wide when we got them in one went into the uh, garden building that's low light, and the other one stayed out in the shade area where it gets irrigation every day. And, of course, it's light, breeze, you know, just its native environment as much as you can get here. So the one inside, when people are inside and they have it, they look at it and go, oh, this is pretty. It's nice and green. I like it. And it is pretty. But when you go outside, the one out there is is like three feet wider, two feet taller, Mm -hmm. flush and beautiful. So they're both beautiful, but when you see the difference of how one works inside versus outside, it kind of helps you understand why you have to work harder on houseplants Mm -hmm. almost. So I guess I'm just going to switch them out so the other one can grow because they're beautiful i i just was amazed it was it only happened like four months yeah, there's some know. really good palms uh, like costa rican bamboo palm is an mm-hmm. excellent house plant i had two that uh, were actually on when my wife and i got married 40 something years ago uh we had one on each side of us when mm-hmm. we got married and uh, i kept them in the in the uh dining room and at night i would turn on lights that would shine up through them Oh, pretty. Uh, they would not get enough sunlight during the day to survive, so mm-hmm. I added supplemental light at night just by yeah. little plant lights on the ground there. Uh, and I love those. Had them a long time. It's a great palm. And then there's a, probably the best low-light one is one called the Kencha palm, K-E-N-T-I-A. Yeah. Uh, but it is because it is low-light, it's just a very slow-growing. 
uh, they are rather expensive, you know, mm-hmm. to get one six feet tall. It's usually yeah, a couple hundred bucks. Kinda, yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty pretty expensive. <laughs> but when you get them, I mean, they'll do what you want them to do. They they'll tolerate very low light conditions and give you a very nice tropical looking uh, appearance. Look, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was sitting on my patio speaking of tropical, and I thought, okay, we're getting into fall, and I have big elephant ears. I've got sedum, coleus, caladiums. I said, it feels like fall, but it looks like Florida. Yeah. You know, and I said, okay, it's definitely time to get into fall, and it's time for a break, and we're going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. It. So, so you know, we can answer with your, your gardening us, questions. Yeah, give us a call. and we'll take your gardening questions. Love to hear from you. And we'll be right back. This is Mid-South Gardening. morning mid-south gardeners welcome back to mid-south gardening thanks for the calls this morning we're going to get to them and some facebook questions too so let's go to oh my glasses are showing blurry is that vicky i was gonna call her vickle does that say vicky good morning vicky you're in the garden hey veda how you doing hey i'm doing good good to hear from you all right yeah, uh, Veda, uh, I got a quick question I want you and uh, Jim to discuss. It's about my lawn. Uh, it was this guy over here. He was uh, trimming my um, tree. He was pruning my tree, and um, he looked at my lawn, and he said, um, you got mold on your lawn, you know, mm-hmm. and and he said, um, you know, it, it's like a fungus. And I, I, I think he's right because, uh, you know, I've been having my lawn treated because I thought it was, I thought the army worms had gotten to it. Right. But I don't think that's the case because uh, some sections of it is nice and green. And uh, I remembered when we had that bad uh, winter, you know, in February and, and it snowed, you know, mm-hmm. that's when my lawn started looking real slimy and funny looking. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen some mushrooms growing in it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm just wondering, and he told me um, I'm going to have to have it tilled or something, you know, have the soil mm-hmm. tilled and uh, then possibly uh, have some, um, you know, sod put down right. and stuff. And so I'm thinking all of that is probably going to um uh, you know, take place next year, right? Because it's too late in the season to have all that stuff done. Mm, no, right? we're, we're at a good time, really. Yeah, is this, uh, how heavily shaded is this? Um. Well, I tell you, I got two big old trees in my front yard. Mm-hmm. And a, one, is a, one is a huge established pecan tree. And that one I just got pruned, and they did a really good job, and now good sunlight gets to it. And the other one is a big, huge, and it's just old, nasty-looking magnolia 
blossom tree. I don't like it at all. I'm going to have that one. I, I was thinking about having it taken down, but I said, no, I'll just have it pruned really mm-hmm. good. And that will let more sun in on that side. So, um, you know, the, the, the trees, you know, shading it and probably holding moisture and right. stuff, that had something to do with it. And so, uh, you know, I'm just wondering, uh, What's next? Should I get it treated with fungicide right. or something like that? What What should I do? Well, it, it, one thing, it sounds like the shade was probably creating a problem. And now that you've got the limbs pruned up, then you're going to open yourself up to being able to have more options with the grass. Yeah, and when you said slimy, that makes me think uh, it's pro- it, there's an algae that grows across the ground. When you have it wet or it stays uh-huh. wet for long times, it's, it's not uncommon. Uh, you typically see it on soil that's a little compacted. And, you know, what I would do is have somebody run a, a soil aerator across it. Don't try to till it. Now, up underneath, oh. a, underneath a magnolia, you're not going to get grass to grow. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter how much you prune it up to let light in there. It has such a fibrous root system. It's going to suck all the moisture out of the ground, and you're going to be... It's going to be very difficult. We'll, we'll to... continue this when we come back after the break, so stay with okay. us. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You're here with us this morning and we'd love to hear your gardening questions. You can call us at 844-747-8868. And we invite you to join our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, same name, um, where you can post pictures and brag. You can ask what something is. You can uh we'll talk about your problems. Um, and <laughs> you talk just, about your problems. Yeah, you like, know. I can just call and say, you know, every day he leaves his shoes in the way. Well, you know, somebody will give you an answer. Yeah, that's true. Plant. (laughs) They'll say just plant flowers in them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great page, Jim. Thank you so much for that. I enjoy doing it. fun just to cruise through it without having to participate. Yeah. But we were talking about the slimy lawn. Yes. We had a... Question about slime on the lawn. Uh, she'd had a tree guy do some work for her, and um, and I think he's really trying to sell her a, a sod job. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But it's uh, it's quite common in shady areas that are moist. You get soil compaction up underneath a tree. A lot of it has to do with heavy rain. You get large drops falling from the tree, and they're pounding the soil. Com- constantly and you've removed everything that normally softens those raindrops you don't let the leaves build up uh, so you end up with soil compaction yeah there's like a lot of pressure per square inch from a raindrop there is but under a tree there it's so much more because you get really large drops falling up underneath the tree Um, so here's a case where she really needs well first of all you know Shade and lawn should not be in the same sentence, okay? There's really no such thing as a shade turf grass. There are shade-tolerant turf grasses. 
um, even fescue that we, you know, particularly in bluegrass, where, you know, in northern areas where they grow it so beautifully. Uh, it's a full sun plant. And here we grow it in shady areas because it's dormant when it's so hot here. It just stays green when it's dormant. Its growing season is through the wintertime, and it gets plenty of sun. The trees don't have leaves on it. Now, you plant it up underneath a magnolia, it isn't going to grow. And pretty much nothing's going to grow underneath there. And we were talking about because it has such a, a massive root system, so fibrous. It, it's a water hog, and so it's very difficult to grow anything up underneath there. Um, but I think all she nearly needs to do is, uh, first of all, check your pH. That's the single most important thing on your turf, making sure that your pH is around 6.5. And, and then run a core aerator across it. And if you can put some leaves down, wait a cup, wait a few weeks here and, and just drive around the neighborhood, steal some bags of leaves after they've raked them for you, and then spread them out and then run your core aerator across it and drive those leaves down into the ground and it pulls a plug of soil out, spits it out, and that soil will loosen and fall back into those holes. So you end up with some deep, loosened soil so the rest can get well-established. If you go out there and sow it on top of hard ground, you know, that's like concrete, it's going to come up, but then it's going to die. Yeah. So, you know, you got to, if you're not going to do the soil prep, let it become a shade garden, plant yeah. ground covers. Yeah, don't till. Right, yeah. You can't till really under a tree. Yeah. So don't let anybody try. Either. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you're really not going to damage a tree, but you're not going to get very deep. And mm-hmm. if you're not going to get down three, four inches deep, you're just wasting time and money. Uh, so. Anyway, the best time to plant fescue, if that's what you're growing, is right now. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is great. So if you can do the soil prep, get your lime down. You know, it's going to take a little while to work, but that's okay. Just make sure you do it. Uh, And then uh, get it down. And when it gets up to where it looks like it needs to be mowed, then give it a little fertilizer. Uh, and, uh, and, and it'll be fine. You just uh, remember that if you're going to keep it through the summertime, it's going to take a couple inches of water a week. Uh, and you don't want to mow it, you know, when you're mowing your yard, you don't want to go into the shade. And I know you're tempted to, (laughs) but stay out from that. Let it get three or four inches tall for the most leaf blade for light absorption. And it will do, it'll do okay. You're going to have to do some reseeding. I mean, that's just a given, but that's just the nature of fescue. Right. We're always receding spring and fall. Right. This is what you got to do. Core aerator, you'll probably have to rent. Yeah, and uh, you can get them. And they're fairly inexpensive. It's mm-hmm. like a tiller, and it'll, yeah. you know, when you're running it across some roots, it'll rattle your brain. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, in that but, case, it's a little different. But, uh, and that's not saying you have to do a core aerator on everything you do when you're throwing seed out, but for the fescue, it's almost like you have to just go an extra mile because you're trying to get the root system just as deep as possible right. since it's not really in its and good it's, you know, environment. Right. It's not really a clay grass, okay? Mm-hmm. It needs to it, it really likes to be in looser type soil that drains well. Right. Because you can get on on fescue, you can get roots 4 feet deep. Uh, you Ooh, know. That is deep. For yeah. Best, for, wow, because you don't get it like that in Bermuda. Maybe you'll get a couple Stalins that, that go that deep. Bermuda is is you know is, is one that does well in our clay soil because mm-hmm. it doesn't really care about the quality of soil. Right. You know. Well, um, that's why I kind of like the zoysia. 
So it's just a good option. But know? it is expensive because you really just only can sod, yeah. lay the sod down, but it is a pretty one. There is some seed available, but it's expensive. And mm-hmm. if you get 10% germination out of it, you're doing really yeah. well. So uh, it's, it's expensive just, seed for only 10% that works. Yeah. I mean, it's easier to buy sod. And if you don't mm-hmm. want to sod the whole thing and have instant lawn, then buy you 10 pieces of sod and cut them up in little blocks yeah. and, you know, and dig little places and do some site preparation and put them in there. Because that does work. That yeah. does work really well. Zoysia is very forgiving. You mm-hmm. know, if you do zilch to your soil, it'll survive anyway. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah, you can lay it on top of the ground and then fill in. I've like done if that. you do a checker box and then mm-hmm. fill in checkerboard and then fill in between with soil that'll keep it level when it grows out and add extra water, extra fertilizer to make it cover over quick. But right now, we really wouldn't be doing that cuz it's not going to start growing that much. Yeah, I mean, the ground temperature is going to be warm till the first of the year. So, I mean, you'd actually get root development. I've seen yeah. people sod in the middle of the wintertime with mm-hmm. brown sod. And it will root in in our soil because here in this area, we're, we're in the transition zone where our soil freezes and thaws repeatedly. So, But it doesn't take much to warm that surface up. So you'll get root development on grass, you know, throughout the wintertime. Yeah. Um, so, but the best time to do it is, you know, May or so when the soil's r- really warmed up. You get good quality sod. It's been cut, and and you got a good root system on it. Uh, that's probably the best time. But. Yeah. So basically, for the Vicky uh, that had called in and was talking about the slime and stuff around her, her trees. You know, we're thinking it it was. Um, the, what what did we think it was? The grass just dying out, or well, yeah, or, it's just yeah. you know competition up mm-hmm. for water and so forth and and you just she's just got algae growing on top of it oh yeah, yeah i thought so. it was that old slimy jelly algae that oh, you see yeah. on really bad soils that covers the top and it's just as slimy as jelly as can be and you slip on it mm-hmm. that's what i was initially thinking of or how about the slime flux mold that just kind of looks like it pours out of a tree oh yeah the trees damaged mm-hmm. there's some really uh weird looking molds and really weird looking mushrooms too oh, yeah. and <laughs> i've had a world of different ones this year yeah um my neighbor cut down an elm tree 10 years ago or so and this year i'm getting mushrooms growing all along the root system from where it huh. grew into my yard uh and it's not uncommon it, it they will mm-hmm. pers- those roots will persist for years underneath yeah. there and slowly rot away she cut her tree down last year you said no about 10 years oh, ago okay i was thinking wow her tree was about dead already if no, it was, it was perfect, mushrooms. perfectly healthy tree and then uh, yeah, and mushrooms are not a bad thing no, they're, they're not, not a bad thing you don't have to spray a fungicide or anything to get rid of the mushrooms and it's just the reproductive structure the vast majority of the of the mushroom is underground mm-hmm. uh, and it's doing what it needs to do it's helping break down your soil and 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 break down organic matter so i mean a sign that you have a mushroom is not a bad thing now there are some bad fungi like there are some fairy rings that can really inhibit your grass and then some of them will make your grass grow faster so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's kind of there are some cool and unusual things out there nature so. is absolutely incredible because mushrooms actually play a big part in the whole soil web in the ecosystem they they do a lot of nutrients into the soil they help form the soil web too something that i never had 
thought about with the mushroom. It's just, I thought of it as a byproduct of composting. And mm-hmm. it was pretty, and you take pictures of it. And it's fun to see all the neat ones. But then when I started reading more about them, how it's really an intricate part of the whole balance, more than we know. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's time to go to another break. But Yep, we've got some questions we're going to cover when we get back here in just a moment. So stay with us. You're listening to Mid-South Garden right here on our flagship station, KWAM in Memphis. Don't go anywhere. More of Mid-South Gardening coming up. And welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. All right, we Glad you're are with here us this to take your gardening questions. Give us a call, 844-747-8868 or local, 901-260-5926. Yeah, we had a couple of questions uh, from uh, Randy Turter. Uh, had, had some questions about, uh, let's see here, he said, uh, yeah, several crepe myrtles every year around August, the leaves on one of the trees starts turning yellow and falling off. By this time of the year, it has about 20% of its leaves. And it's sprayed with the liquid copper, but it didn't seem to help. I wonder if there's anything he can start doing now to prevent mm-hmm. this happening next year. And uh, also, he wanted to know if he can move daylilies and hostas now. Well, that one's quick. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. you can. Go ahead. Move them. Yeah, you can move daylilies anytime you want to. Yeah, you don't have to be all special with them either because yeah. they don't mind. No, they don't. Uh, and but, what kind yeah. of tree was it? I missed that. Well, he's, he, um, this is a crepe myrtle. Okay. That's, okay. Well, first of all, it varies from plant to plant, even within the same variety, uh, based on the location that they're at. So you'll have some that for various reasons, may have a more compacted root zone, which means you've got more roots in your soil, which means it dries quicker than one, the same variety a few feet away that may have developed a better root system. So you can get variations between the two plants. Uh, Did he say how big the crepe myrtle was by chance? uh, It apparently is a big one, you know. Um, But... There's some things that you can do is do some aeration around it. Uh, as, as Veda likes to say, throw some organic matter down on the top there, you know, and try to work it into the top of the soil and fairly wide. Do it six to eight feet wide there to try to get some roots into that and pick up your watering in starting the end of July, 1st of August to make sure that it has as much water as it can stand, basically. Um, you, when a plant starts going into dormancy or starts going into drought, what it does is it sheds the least productive tissue, all the internal stuff. It's kind of a self-defense mechanism. It holds the newest growth out at the tip because that's the good food-producing tissue. But in in an effort to retain water, it will shed those leaves because that's where it's going to lose the water is through the leaves. So you'll get down to just a very small amount of foliage, which limits the loss of the water. So if you'll pick your watering up, like I say, end of July and keep it moist, not drown it, uh, that should slow it down substantially. It's not a fungal issue. Okay. Right. Uh, it is strictly a physiological one, and there's you know just some things that you can do to help, 
but it may always be a little earlier than other ones based on what's happening underground. Yeah, and then of course there's different varieties. You can look now and see some of the crepe myrtles are nice and flush and looking good and green, and then there's some that you can see are already trying to transition, and then you see some like he was talking about, which you obviously know there it's stressed in some type of way, and it's usually with the crepe myrtle the watering. Yeah, like I've got said. a a uh, red rocket in the front yard. And it's still beautiful green, lots of flowers on it, looks great. But I've got a huge Potomac that's in the backyard, and it's shedding leaves, you know, to beat the band here. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> and it's just that time of year, I expect yeah. it. Um, I know, the crepe myrtles, because the fall color is going to be awesome this year, I'm thinking. And there's the, I like the crepe myrtle that has the orange fall color. Yeah. But the crepe myrtle, do you notice I didn't tell you what the name is? There's so many, I need it, my cheat sheet. Yeah. Which one has the fall orange color? There, you know, and sometimes it's yellow, sometimes it's orange. It's kind of dependent on the uh, sugar level in the, in That's the leaves. That's right. You know, to get their best color, what we want is warm days and cold nights. That locks the sugars into the leaf, and so as it depletes the chlorophyll, then you begin to see the other um, pigments that are in there, which they're the sugars, and it so you get your best color with that sort of situation. Even if it and if it's a little bit dry, you'll get better results than if it's moist. So, so looking forward to a good fall and pumpkins and hay bales and corn stalks. I'm sure you've just done your house all up like that, Jim. No, no. Uh, oh. We we took the little ceramic pumpkins and put them on the dining room. I mean, on the kitchen table. And that's it. That's it. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's still fall, y'all. And the mums are fantastic. Some people don't know that mums actually come back every year. Yes. A lot of people like to buy them because they're a nice, pretty, fun fall color, and then they're in the trash. Or they're really upset because the blooms um, have dried and they think they're dead because the blooms are brown. But on a lot of them, the first set of blooms come out, and then there's a second, and then there's a third right. set. Right, you can shear those off, and in 30 days, it looks beautiful again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So some folks I hear don't want, does not want to spend money on a mum because it's short-lived, they feel, but if you're looking to do something in your perennial garden for fall, you can have it on your pat porch, patio, or whatever, and then plant it in the garden. Yes. And that way it's a good investment. Now, I can tell you, it will never look as good as it did when you bought it. Yeah. Or that way. <laughs> We're going to say good in a different way, right? But no, you're right. I was so disappointed when that happened. Yeah. I really thought it was going to come out nice and round like a basketball and they're just tall they grow kind of tall and leggy but you can pinch them yeah and that's the key is repeated pinching you know you're going to get a couple of spurts of growth your first one in the spring it'll get about three or four inches tall and it'll look like it's got a flower bud on the tip of it mm-hmm. pinch that out yeah, it's then hard. let it do that again and then pinch those out mm-hmm. and then you get lots of flowers okay but if you want to just have huge flowers like in some varieties intend this then you only allow one of those each time to go when you pinch it you'll get four or five sprouts to come off but you take all but one off yeah and then when it does that again then again you take all but one off and you'll get nice cutting type mums and i think the rule of thumb is you don't pinch after like Oh, is it July 4th, 4th of July or July? 
Because if you pinch later than that, then you won't get many blooms. Yeah, and you may any. not have time. Yeah, because it's because mm-hmm. then it'll be by the time they start producing, it'll be cold and they will freeze. We do have a caller. We want to pick you up after the break. It's Todd from Georgia. But we'll get you after this break, and we can answer your gardening questions. Just give us a call after the break at 844-747-8868. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning. We've got a lot of things to talk about in the next uh, little while, but let's go to Todd from Georgia. Good morning, Todd. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Hey, guys. It's uh, Todd Starnes from <laughs> North Georgia. Oh, wow. How'd you get up there? Down there. Well, believe, <laughs> believe it or not, on the roads, barely. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually in the mountains driving behind a hay truck right now. Oh. And uh, it reminded me, I needed to ask you guys a question about um, about the lawn there at the KWAM studio. Mm-hmm. Oh, the so lawn here. Mm. Yeah, so there's a back lawn area, and I've noticed, and, and it's a weird problem, but whenever you go and walk on that grass, it's almost like you're walking on a soft bed. Yeah. You just sort of sink down. And I was wondering, what is that, and how do you? how can you fix that? Yeah, it just sounds like thatch. Yeah, it's yeah. a thatch buildup, you know, and particularly when we get a lot of rain on it, it feels spongy when you walk on it. Um, it's really not a big issue. Um, you know, we can run, whoever's taking care of the lawn can run a... Uh, I thought that was you, Jim. Yeah, no, uh-uh, no, I'm not <laughs> mowing. Uh, <laughs> you know, if they're using a thatching lawnmower, dethatching blade, they can take some of that out of there, but... The best time to do that is in the spring so the grass can recover quickly. Um, but it, it's really not anything that's um, detrimental to the grass. So, Just bizarre that there's a spongy lawn. And a lot of people have had that question, too, but you're really all good. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. I thought this was a big money problem. So, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I was going to yeah. say. Um, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Let yeah. me tell you how much we- it's going to cost for me to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, can you help me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, the leaves are already starting to change. We're up in Helen, Georgia, a beautiful oh, area. I love uh, Helen. I got to go check that place out. Yeah, it's like a little Scandinavian village there in the middle of North Georgia. Really? Yeah. Is that up or down? It's it's well, it's a little <laughs> bit down from here, but it's up in Georgia. Okay, that's my confusion. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for calling us, Todd, about your your own lawn. <laughs> Thanks for helping out, guys. Appreciate it. So, uh, anyway, we'll see you back at the studio. All right. Have a good trip, Thanks. my friend. Everything's always up from me, whether yeah. it's down or up, always. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, but the thatch a lot of times can come from cutting too much grass off, it, letting it get too tall, and then mowing it. Yeah, it's it's it, more stems and stolons mm-hmm. uh, and roots than it is grass mm-hmm. cuttings, particularly if it's Bermuda, because it 
pretty much dissolves, yeah. you know, rather quickly. Now, zoysia can contribute to it. Zoysia is very high in silica content, and it doesn't decompose quickly. So you can get some thatch buildup contributing from the cuttings, but it's still, it's mostly stems and, yeah. and stolons that are causing that. Yeah, so... You know, uh, at the very years ago, I'd heard it was just the grass clippings yeah, that's falling not. down into the lawn, and then your uh, soil balance is off, and the grass clippings aren't breaking up down fast enough to put soil back into or good fertilizer back into your lawn. And so that's why it's a good reason to only mow a little bit of grass off at the at one time so it's not overdone yeah, and no, can't follow through with its compost The rule process. is a, a, not more than a third of the blade, blade at yeah. a time. Um, and yeah, no matter if it's six inches tall, still just a third right. until and, you can work it down. And that's the issue with Bermuda. It grows so rapidly that if you're mowing on a once-a-week pattern, it's mm-hmm. outgrowing that. Mm-hmm. You're going to take off more than that. So when you the next morning after you, I call it Sunday morning browning, uh, when you see that the turf just looks has a brown tinge to it you've cut back into stems yeah so um, if, if we'll you know get out there and mow like every third or fourth day that won't happen well speaking <laughs> of yeah every third or fourth day that we, was one reason why i enjoyed my organic because things grow really slow and i didn't have to mow as much let's go to steve from hernando good morning steve good morning how are you oh been better but i was younger Right. Yeah, say I'm kicking, but not nearly as high. I've not heard that one, but I like it. <laughs> uh, I have a question about nutgrass. Where, yeah, what, yeah okay. what's it doing? Where is it? In the lawn or flower beds? It's, it's in the lawn. Uh, we've got three acres. We've got a size, say, uh, about half the size of a basketball court that's solid nutgrass mm-hmm. and we've been trying to kill it and whatever but now it's starting to pop up other places in the yard just all of a sudden it just shows up mm-hmm. I, is is it seeding or is it I think, yeah, the little uh, bublets are probably being moved through the uh, soil. And it's seeding also. Yeah. comes up really. You know, you'll see a lot of people blame their mulch companies because when Mm -hmm. they get mulch and put it down, nutgrass comes up. And they think it's coming in with the mulch, and it's not. The nutgrass seed is everywhere. It's all over the roads. It's in the sidewalks. And uh, as soon as you cover it with something, it comes up like hair on a cat's back. Yeah. Well, in uh, moist areas, too, if that area has more moisture than the others, the nutgrass likes that a little better, and that will cause it to grow. Almost always. It's a where water runs through or it's a dampened area. Yeah, that can be. Or even uh, poor quality soil. Sometimes you can find patches that if you add more humic acid to the soil, it slows it down. You know, it's just one little extra thing you can do. Change the moisture level, change the consistency of the soil. And then there's the, which spray is it? Well, (laughs) what I would use would be sedge hammer if you've got that much area. It's very easy. It comes in a little powder and you just drop it in a gallon of water. Um, And it's fairly inexpensive. So you can just you can spray the that area and 
it may take two applications to get rid of it, but you're always going to fight it mm-hmm. because you obviously have the conditions suitable for it to grow. So it's going to be a probably a yearly thing. Now, pre-emerge may help some, but a lot of times nut sedge seed kind of ignores mm-hmm. uh, pre-emerge. So, but it's sure worth it if you get three or four of the plants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, sedge hammer would be your your most economical mm-hmm. cure. Yeah. My, my wife missed writing it down. What what did you say you used? Called sedge hammer. Sedge hammer? Uh-huh. Yeah, because we call sedge, it nut grass. Yeah. It's not really a grass. It's a sedge. And so it and you have, it's a different chemicals that, that have to address it. But sedge hammer is, is fairly economical. Uh, if you've got a farm store or tractor supply, someplace like that, or your local garden center, uh, yeah. you, you can pick it up there. Okay. Uh, one more question, please. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pre-emerge. When do, when do we need to pre-emerge Bermuda grass? Well, if you have it now, is a great time to yeah. do it. We we like to do it three or four times a year, actually, and begun so September is a wonderful time. Yeah, this this application is going to stop most of your annual bluegrass chickweed henbit that you're going to see, but typically it won't last all the way through the winter. So try to do it again in December. And then the application you'll put down into February 1st of March is going to stop your crabgrass from coming up in the early spring germinating weeds. And usually it won't last all the way through the summer, so we like to do a fourth application at the end of May. So September, December, uh, early March, and then around the 1st of June or so. Can you cut can you cut your grass and leaves up after you spray? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's a granule. You put it down, and then, you know, when it gets watered in, the chemical comes off and forms this barrier on the surface. But, yeah, you can mow and do anything like that. The only thing you don't want to do is till it. Um, uh, Where you edge along the sidewalk, it's going to break the barrier, and so you'll have some weeds come up there. Uh, But it will control just dang near everything. And if you're using dimension, you can put it on your flower beds also. It won't hurt your bulbs, and it's uh, it's a great product. You can use it anywhere except vegetable gardens. It's not approved for vegetables. Okay. Well, if if there's a uh, you're using another application of pre-emerge, because I would want to use it in liquid form. No, I'd no. use granule. Yeah. I mean, you, there are some liquids out there, but when you're talking about cost, the granular dimension. Like there's a product, high yield weed and grass stopper that you can again pick up at your local co-op or independent garden center it's not something you're going to find in a in a box store um but it, it's for under 20 bucks you can do 3,500 4,000 square feet uh so it, it's a great great product well, one last question all right uh speaking of leaves does it hurt to mow leaves I'm, i mean instead of raking them up and no, just you mean just bowing over them and chopping them up? You can do that and just chop them up and leave them on the ground. Yeah, as long as it's not shading your grass. Okay, if if you're leaving enough that it's covering the top of it, you you need to bag some of that. You know, 
But you know, light coating of leaves, wonderful put on your lawn. Okay. Well, Jim, I still think you're the best looking of my life at all. This is one of my blind friends. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) I gotcha. Now that I heard what he's saying, yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Steve, for the call. Hey, take care, my friend. So basically, on the uh, nutgrass area, you know, just check and see if there's any difference in the moisture level. Maybe give it some more compost or nutrients to the level that's getting it. Um, And then using the sedge hammer. Is mm-hmm. a good thing to use because everything, little thing you can do right now to get it under control, you will like it. And the pre-emergent. Yeah, too. and you're going to have some seedlings uh, nutgrass come up every year. You know, we yeah. have annual and perennial type nut sedges. Uh, so you're going to have some of those come up, mm-hmm. and you're just going to have to address them when they do. Yeah, right. I mean, it's but, just... Okay, well, let's go to a break really quickly, and then we'll be back for more of your gardening questions. You're listening to Mid-South Gardening. I've noticed that when I go to the shopping... Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you here with us this morning. Give us a call, 844-747-8868. And um, you got to look at the Facebook page that Jim's administrator of. Yes, Mid South Gardening. Yeah. Thank goodness. It's Got a some questions name. there to you know you need to answer, and because uh, we are a private group, uh, and if you don't answer, and that's fine. You but the pictures are fabulous. Yeah. Love the pictures. Um, you you can learn all kinds of good things, and just kind of a happy page. Actually, it doesn't seem stressful at all. Yeah. Our good friend Judy Wood uh, had a question about whether or not for houseplants it makes a difference if you use plastic or clay pots, uh, and whether or not some plants like one or the other better. Well, I personally prefer clay pots. Um, I think the quicker a plant dries out, the better off you are. You may have to water more, but you're less likely to overwater, which typically is the number one reason people kill plants. Yeah. Okay, they love them to death. You know, they'll water them, water will sit in the saucer for a couple of days. And then what happens is you get root rot. The tips of the feeder roots, which are the microscopic roots, begin to rot off. And then the plant can't take in water, even though it's sitting mm-hmm. in it. So the plant wilts. And so what do you do to a wilted plant? I'm going to water it more. Again, yeah, <laughs> when it really needs some air and allowed to dry so that it can recover from what you did to it. Right. So, <laughs> Why? Uh, I've even taken the whole uh, root ball out of the pot before uh, yeah. to let it, you know, not dry for days, but just to hurry up and get some of the water evaporating off the roots. Right. Trying I mean, you to know, recover it quickly. Back when I first got into this business many, many, many years ago, we were still using coffee cans for nursery containers. We would buy the metal mm-hmm. cans. And there was a machine that would poke four holes really? in the bottom. You know, uh-huh. And then the cans would go to a, um, a company that would coat them with asphalt. Wow. So they were black. Oh, this was all intended. Yes, you, just, you okay. did this, and then that way the pot, the, the metal pot didn't rust on you. 
Okay. It also was warm, so I mean, black. It mm-hmm. would get warm, and you'd get better root development. Yeah. In it. Okay. So I mean, this was before nursery cans were really, you know, I go way back. So <laughs> that can't be that much farther than me. So, um, uh, but anyway, uh, that's ner- so Nursery cans, you know, plastic nursery cans became the thing because they were inexpensive. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when we were growing perennials at uh, at Dan West. You know, the wholesale cost on one of these little um, two-quart pots was in the neighborhood of, of 13 cents. Yeah. You know, so it didn't add a whole lot of cost to your to your plant. Um, How much did a tin can covered with asphalt and holes drilled in it With the cost? labor, who knows how much that cost. Yeah. You know? so. Yeah, so advancement is good. And now we're trying to advance into the cloth pots, Yeah. which is... Which are really good, but not good for keeping inventory and it, stock in your garden It's tough for retailers, yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, that would be difficult. I, I was never a big fan of bald and burlap material yeah. because it would root into the ground, mm-hmm. and then somebody would want to buy it in June, and it, you got to yeah. cut it loose, yeah. and you lose all the roots, and it's just... Messy uh, and heavy, yeah. and then... Remember, people used to drag the root, the pull the top of the tree and drag oh, it with yeah. the root ball, and just, you know, that would be ripping the roots basically off the trunk uh, where it would stay with that big heavy root ball. and But you wouldn't know that it happened. That's right. You know, for a while. And, and they, the success rate for people planting them was just lower than when you bought one in a container. Because mm-hmm. container plant hadn't lost any roots, okay? It wasn't dug out of the field and it left 50% of the roots there. Yeah. Uh, now, some plants will recover from that quickly, but things like magnolias, uh, I have seen... 10-foot magnolias planted, and mm-hmm. you could plant a, a one-gallon three-foot, and it would outgrow it. I mean, because it just did not take to removing that many mm-hmm. roots off of it. Um, yeah, be, one of the things that we've always said was somebody would be disappointed they couldn't really invest in the 45-gallon tree, but they could get the 15-gallon tree. But the thing is, is that 45-gallon tree sits there for a while developing roots while the 15-gallon tree develops roots and catches up Mm -hmm. with the other one. Yeah, I I tell people to plant the smallest tree they can stand, (laughs) you know. You'll get the quickest results out of it usually. Uh, In fact, yesterday I went and looked at um, uh, one of the aldermen in our our town had had some arborvitaes that were dying that were planted Mm -hmm. this past spring. Uh, and when I put my hands down in the soil around it, there was space, air in there. Oh, right. And it was either voles taking them out, or they never did plant them properly. And mm, so... That sounds like planting to me. Yeah. All right, we are going to head out of here, but we'll get back to you. You're listening to Mid-South Gardening. garden help you need now mid-south gardening powered by palladio home and garden with your hosts veda vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder good morning and welcome to mid-south gardening i'm veda with palladio garden jim jim crowder retired nurseryman and administrator of our facebook group and kenneth is out and will be joining us maybe not next week but the next week And we're here to take all your gardening questions. Call us 844-747-8868. 
you know, the one thing I was thinking about when you transport trees or if you buy shrubs in the fall or anytime, make sure that they're well watered before you leave with them in the back of your truck. Make sure they're all laying down because if they're dry or even if they're moist and you're just cruising, you know, getting home, it's going Take to... the back roads. Yeah. Go slow. Yes, because it's just going to suck all the moisture out of the leaves and it's just going to cause the so beginning of a stress. So yeah. people put a 15-gallon tree in there, zip home, <laughs> and then plant it, you know, and it still looks fine then, but then about three days later, all the leaves are dried on and it. And it's the nurseryman's fault. They say they bought a bad tree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's just that, you know, you just dried it out, taking it home in the back of your vehicle. I've seen them just standing up, standing up in the back of the truck. Houseplants, you just should put those inside the cab or inside the car. Don't let houseplants just hang out the back of your truck. But the transportation matters on how you get these things home. Some people's laid them down over the back of the tailgate, you know, the tailgate's up, and then they get home, and it's just rubbed the bark off Mm -hmm. where it's been leaning over the tailgate. That's not good. Nope. Not good at all. That's like uh, causing part of the area where it can take the nutrients up and down, the moisture up and down, that, that part's gone. So that's causing a little extra stress, too. So try to do those little things, not to stress them out before you get home with them and stress them out your own self. (laughs) (laughs) We do that, it seems. That's what I tell people. No plant wants to die before it's time. If it dies, you killed it. It You may not want to admit it, but you killed it. You either gave it something it didn't want Mm -hmm. or it wanted something you didn't give it. Right. And there's no other options. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, and if you think about it, there's, I think, really only, well, okay, the light situation, that's definitely important, but right. you can kind of get away with. You gave it too much light yeah. or not enough sunlight. And then the other big one is planted too deep. Plant too deep. Or, you know, you put piled mulch yeah. up on it. You That's know, the other thing, mulching deep. too deep. Mm-hmm. Overwater and underwater. Yes. And so that the, the light, the mulching too high, underwater, overwater, and not proper soil prep. So really five things that we can do. Yeah, and the over and underwater, it's so oftentimes very difficult to tell which one it is. True, true. Because if you lose those feeder roots either from drying or from rotting off, it still can't take in water. Mm-hmm. So then it... It wilts, and of course, like we said, that's the first thing you do is you water a wilted plant when it may not be what it needs. Right. Uh, there was, uh, you know, how people come into the garden center and go, okay, I had this plant's hibiscus, and it did this, or it did this, or it did this. And I said, okay, well, are the leaves drooping? And then when you water it, they perk back up? Or are they drooping, and when you water it, they don't perk back up? Or are the leaves crispy and falling off? And she said, what you just said, the leaves are droopy, I water it, but it doesn't perk back up. And I go, well, I think, I think it's, it's got to be overwatering. The roots are, are rotting. She goes, yeah, it is pretty much sitting in water. <laughs> I was like, it's a hibiscus that likes it dry. So, but she was thinking, even though it was sitting in water, that was a good place because it kept wilting. Mm-hmm. And so if it's, it must need lots of water. So that, that scenario, leaves wilting, means two things at first. Yep. Too much or not enough. You know, and it's, the nice thing is about being a nurseryman is if you let people talk long enough, they'll tell you what they did to it. That's so true. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, just yeah. listen. Because sometimes it sounds like interrogation. Yeah. And then you'll get, I had a guy come one time, you know, he came in and, and we had we had, had a, um, 
a late freeze and seeing Japanese maples had gotten really damaged all over town. You know, it's it seen hundreds of them that year. And, and this guy comes in and he says he's got a Japanese maple. That, and that's nice. Went through and explained to him what had happened. And then he goes, no, that's not it. <laughs> okay. It's not it. All I don't right. know why I'm asking a professional. <laughs> you know. But I asked the question and I know that's not it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I get that a lot too. Yeah. But because I, I feel diagnosing problems, I feel uh, bad sometimes because all I'm doing is going, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. And I'm going, well, did you put it there? Did you do this? Yeah, did and, you fertilize and, and it? And the customers, all, you know, they're just trying to give me an excuse use so they don't have to replace it oh yeah you that's know. true i know you feel like you're going into a, a scenario okay how can i how can i approach this yeah so the first thing i used to say is i'm going to replace the plant uh-huh. okay all right just <laughs> let's get that clear exactly that's but true. i don't want to happen to the other one yeah so <laughs> yeah. tell me honestly what just happened because yeah. uh i've done them all i've done every one of those that's yeah. why i know and then you know it's amazing how some things are uh just dead on i would never do that but somebody does it and it thrives yeah because because there's always that anomaly in gardening anything alive you know and let's see what else we wanted to to talk about a good one yeah we want to talk about houseplants a little bit more in bringing them in you know one of the things that people face is um bringing in insects or worried about bringing in insects uh, you know, my nightmare is bringing in slugs. I hate slugs. Oh yeah, that's that's yeah, interesting. Because yeah. they'll Ugh. get up in the in you know the holes of the containers mm-hmm. and then wait for nightfall and then they come out and you know, <laughs> head across the floor yeah, leave, and then you step on it. Yeah, leave a little silver trail through. You can the, make the slug tub, smoothies. You know. Yeah, slug <laughs> smoothies would be great. So anyway, there are ways to help get rid of those soil insects. One of the best ways is to fill your tub up with water. Set the pot in there where the water comes up right to the top of the pot. Uh, and let it sit there for 20 minutes or so, and it will drown most things that are in there or flush them to the surface mm-hmm. so that they want to come out. So that's good. And you just don't use cold water. You use, you know, just lukewarm water. Uh, and that's a good way. And there is also some really good products that are put on there. Um one of the products, and a lot of people have heard so much bad stuff, most of which is not true about the um, neonicotine insecticides, but imidacloprid, which is a very safe, you know, for considered non-toxic to mammals, um, that you you can put in a container that will kill those nasty fungus gnats that everybody seems to get when they bring their plants in. You know, fungus nests don't really do anything bad to the plant. Mm-hmm. They're feeding on decomposed stuff in there. But the maggots are what, you know, grow up to be the fungus nests. Right. And, and imidacloprid's approved for that. I mean, it's it's labeled for fungus nests. And so. then possibly the reason why we get gnats when we move them in is we're still trying to water. Like we were watering outside, and you don't have to water that much inside, so the extra moisture allows the environment for the gnats to hatch. So go ahead and put the systemic in. Yeah, and it just that it's a good way to stop it. It'll give you three to four months control for things like white flies, uh, or mealybugs, and aphids, and things like that. Um, another thing you can do is on any on most plants you can spray them with a a growing season oil, which smothers overwintering insects, also shines your leaves, makes them look mm-hmm. really pretty. Um, don't want to spray anything that's fuzzy. No, don't spray your African violets or, or your apicias or anything like that. 
Um, but it's a, it's a great way and an inexpensive way to control most insects on there. Um, you know, particularly scale insects, if you've got palms, because they seem to be particularly fond of yeah. palms. You know, uh, we had a lady come in with uh, staghorn ferns, and uh, staghorn fern had a question. She had gotten scale on it, mm-hmm. and it was just one of the, the fronds that had it, and she was ready just to douse the whole thing. And I said, just prune that front off. Yeah. Just Inspect. Take it off. If you see little dots, just take them off and bump up the water or the fertilizer or move it to more light or do something to change the environment a little bit. So sometimes you just got to cut it off. Yeah. And uh, so let's see, we're still moving them in. We want to clean them up, like you said, systemic insecticide. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, I'm slowly moving mine toward the house, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't want that huge light change that's an important thing is adjusting it to the light situation and people will take one from the inside where it's been accustomed to you know the low light situation and take it outside well it goes thank you very much Mm -hmm. and starts putting on lots of new growth and does really great and then you move it from that brighter light situation back into a lower light and it goes oh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, now I got to switch my clothes. Right, you know, they and drop it, their it leaves. To, and it puts on new foliage slowly. That's adapted to that. It tends to shed foliage. Um, we talk about weeping figs. They're the fastest to react to that. I mean, you move it from one side of a window to the other, and it sheds leaves. Uh, and it's all it's doing is trying to adapt to the new light situation that you've done to it. Um, so you're going to get the oftentimes you'll get contorted leaves like Schiffler's will put out one or two sets of leaves that will be irregularly shaped and it's just adapting to mm-hmm. the lower light or the brighter light that, uh, you've given it. Yeah. We got, um, ordered some Schiffler's, the variegated Schiffler's, Arbicola's mm-hmm. and from Florida when they got here, we put them in the building. And our building's medium to low light with some areas of highlight. So we put them in the building. And uh, they just started dropping all their leaves. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that in Florida, these are sold as shrubs. Mm-hmm. They're going to be out in the garden center like you go in and buy a holly. Well, they go in and buy a Sheffalera because it's a low-growing shrub for full sun basically Mm -hmm. so that's the growing condition that was in maybe a little shaded so when we got them here and put them in a cooler low light situation they just threw all their leaves off yeah if you grow house plants you know particularly in florida where they grow crotons and things like this they can grow a plant really quick and produce one um and if so it inexpensive but Mm -hmm. if they're grown in the shade they grow much slower they grow differently and they cost a lot more yeah so you know if you walk into a if you're buying you know 998 three gallon plants it's been grown in full sun and it's going to be a booger to move into the house yeah right exactly and uh, i do like to uh, get the proper plants for the proper conditions of course, even in your house. But we got to run to a break, and we can talk about that a little bit in a few minutes. We'll be right back. Call with your garden questions now, 844-747-8868. This is Mid-South Gardening. (laughs) 
Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have y'all with us. Call us 901-260-5926. And I just have to say about this one shrub that I love still, the Snow Joey. Snow Joey, Viburnum. Y'all, y'all got to check out Viburnums. There's a lot of them. But I mean, this, this shrub attracts birds, attracts butterflies. It's compact. For Viburnum, it's compact. Like six feet by four feet. Cut flowers, deer resistant, disease and pest resistant, uh, drought tolerant. Notice they're resistant and tolerant, y'all. That doesn't mean that it's immune. But it ain't evergreen. That's right. So darn it with that. It's just not going to work then. <laughs> That's my big thing. I, I explain how beautiful and how wonderful this is great for your environment. And the red berries right now are going to be fantastic. And they go. It's not evergreen. Mm-hmm. Yep, or, or you had it exactly does, right. Does it die in the wintertime? Yeah, does it die? Right. No, the sticks <laughs> are still green, but no, they don't want that either. But the yeah. the berries are fantastic. And, and now we're looking for plants that are multi-utilitary. Is that the right word? Multi-uses. You know, if I'm going to buy this plant and it's just going to be green and that's all, then okay. But I'm wanting the plant that's going to attract the butterflies, have fall color, it doesn't have to keep its leaves. It can keep its leaves. Or when it loses its leaves, it has great structure. Right. You know, there are a lot of good plants like um, red twig dogwoods, yellow twig dogwoods. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sir Harry Lauder's walking stick looks so much better mm-hmm. when it ha- doesn't have leaves than it mm-hmm. does when it does. I thought that was bizarre when y'all had said that before, but yes, I agree now. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, well, crepe myrtles, you know, they're, they have beautiful trunks as well. Oh, yeah. You know, now maybe if you had one that has five trunks on one, that could look good, though. No, I've got actually. one that's got probably more than that. In fact, the very base of it is, it's bigger than me. Wow. Now, bigger, don't we Bigger grow, than two of me. Don't so. we grow crepe myrtles to run the Christmas lights up on? Not on. Isn't that mm-hmm. why we grow them? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I saw this. I just could not believe this is what I saw, and I still have the picture of it. But some, you know, I was speaking of winding the Christmas lights up around the uh, crepe myrtle. Well, someone had done that, but never, never took them off. So it healed over them. So Ooh. you could see the the spiral bumps along way up along the trunk. But they haven't, it did not heal over the ends yet. So the little bulbs were just sticking out. So it had molded and grown and just engulfed the entire um, Christmas light strand into the tree. It fused it, it looks like. It would have been really cool if they still worked because it just would have looked <laughs> like your tree was glowing, but they didn't work. So, you know, that plants grow around a bench. I've seen it grow around mm-hmm. a, a bench before. So like Jim always says, plants don't want to die. Nope. They're just going to grow over it. Nope. That's how they do. And they live for one reason, to reproduce. And some do that very well. Yeah. That know, is particularly so the true. ones you don't want in your yard. You know, um, I was looking at uh, the daylilies right now. Some of them look like they have rust on their leaves. They do. They look bad. But I've got some that are throwing new sp- spikes. Some of the mm-hmm. rebloomers are starting yeah. to bloom now. Yeah. So uh, I've started. Uh, I love daylilies. And... And I love the ones that are one first rebloomers, mm-hmm. and then the ones that have a picketty edge to them. That's ruffly, ruffly, yeah. and and just a little color all around the edge. I'll have you know uh-huh. it'd be a purple flower with a yellow edge oh, or something yeah. like that. So those are Beautiful. my favorites. So mm-hmm. 
Well, well you might need to check some of our reblooming daylilies. I love reblooming yeah. daylilies. Because they yeah. really do. When they first came out, people said, but do they really? Yeah. But they really do. I've got them blooming. The yellow ones I have are blooming now. Mm-hmm. There's just been a constant. But, you know, it's like the reblooming hydrangeas. They do, but in, in spectacular. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Yeah. The first time's the best time, and after that it throws some blooms, but right. it's and you not. Gotta, you got to prune it, you know. Yeah. But I, I did two of mine this past uh, spring after they bloomed i cut the stalks off cut the flower buds off mm-hmm. and one has not thrown a single flower huh okay and it's been a great season so it, it should have been no problem uh, and there. then the other one has maybe four or five on yeah. the flower so, so gives you a little bit of gives happy. a little color it's yeah. something it's yeah. something so don't you think that hydrangeas are one of the deer's most favorite delicacy outside of hostas? Yeah, outside of hostas, probably. Well, probably. this this lady came in to show me her landscape, and she wanted to know uh, how to repel the deer. She said, I had a designer install a uh, deer-resistant garden, and there's about 40 hydrangeas. <laughs> I know. I'm so, I'm just, I'm speechless because what we're having to do to help after she didn't want it they even have the uh wrought iron fence but it's only like six feet tall i think which is not tall enough step over that but they're the deers are jumping over and skewing themselves and she's like you know i don't want them to eat my hydrangeas but i absolutely don't want that Well, we can go th- over that, maybe how to keep them out of your garden yeah. a Come little Come back, bit. we'll take some more of your questions, 844-747-8868. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. Glad to have y'all here with us. Give us a call at 260-5926. You can watch us Facebook Live, or you can call us on the other number. Yes, you can go to kwamradio.com. And if you go there, you can also listen to all of our past broadcasts. Mm. Our podcasts are on there. Uh, and uh, we invite you also to join our, our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening. Lots of good information there. We've got a file section that's got a lot of stuff in it. And then we also, um, you know, we've got um, 7,000 plus members. So it doesn't take any time at all to get you an answer. And uh, most of them are right. That's yeah. the nice thing about it. <laughs> yeah. Most of them are right. Because you have three of us. It's about 100 years or more experience in different topics and some overlapping. Yeah. And if we don't know, we really will say we don't know. Yeah. We're yeah. not going to just some throw something out we, there. We don't, we don't do on there. We, you know, with mushrooms, we don't try to identify them, and we don't talk about edibility. No. You know, there no. are other groups that are more qualified to do that because, <laughs> as someone said, all mushrooms are edible at least once. Yeah, there you go, at <laughs> least know? once. So, no. uh, man, beautiful mushrooms. I'm, I'm seeing pictures yeah. of not the ones in Memphis. Well, the ones in Memphis are beautiful, but I didn't know how other mushrooms can form and and the looks and how good it is for the soil but i've got one thing that i know somebody has a yard and it's full of flea beetles little and it's eating all these little holes in their plants mm-hmm. and of course if i if you can get on the right track you can spray before they start doing their damage but that's almost hard to do 
because, you know, you're, it's just all of how the weather falls on when you could spray. It starts like about middle summer. No, yeah, I think it's about middle summer. But apparently I need to treat the whole area possibly. Yeah. yeah. And so in this sense, because it's really taken up a lot of space and damage to plants, I'm going to have to probably fall off the organic methods, but go with something a little less uh, something that's not as toxic, but less organic. And what would that be? Well, I would use a metacloprid. You know, mm-hmm. metacloprid is one of the best products that's ever been developed. Okay, it's it's one of the neonicotines. Um, now it has some issues if it's not used properly. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. You yeah. never spray flowers, okay, because mm-hmm. it will kill pollinators. And it doesn't move readily into the reproductive parts of plants, but it can be applied to the ground. And, and like in the case of uh, Japanese beetles and grubs, it'll give you about a year's control. Uh, so it's a good product for that. It's virtually non-toxic to mammals. Um, it attacks a nicotine receptor that insects have a lot of and that we have very few of. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's a great product to use. Now, it shouldn't be used on some things. Uh, so, you know, there's... When it's used in farming, um, it, it can cause some issues. Now, mm-hmm. like in Canada, they grow something like 19 million acres of rape, which is for canola oil. million yeah. acres. And wow. also for honey production. So obviously mm. it's getting into the flower. It's not hurting the bees because if it was, you wouldn't have them making honey out of it. Right, right. So in some plants, it's a good product to use. And there are some that it shouldn't. Um, University of Arkansas, I understand, did a study, and they found that uh, in cotton and soybeans, that when they were treated at planting, that it there was no um, sign of imidacloprid in the pollen or the nectar. Uh, in corn pollen, there was just a touch of uh, the insecticide got into yeah. that. But on some plants, you know, it's it, you shouldn't use it. So that uh, that would. But for most homeowner applications, yeah, uh, for what you're what you're talking about here, it really is a good product, mm-hmm. so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because I'm not, it's not going to be over applied by a pond, you know. Where if right. it's over applied, then it leaches out because it can't do its thing, and then you know that's the whole thing about and synthetics. One of the good things about it, it binds quickly to oh. organic matter and clay. So it it isn't going anywhere in your soil. Yeah, okay. so that's binding, so that's keeping it there. And then that's going to work on the larva of the flea beetle, exactly. which you would think, oh, as many holes that are in all these plants that you would just see tons and tons of flea beetles, but I hardly ever see Almost them. never see them. I mean, yeah. you have to look hard to catch one, mm-hmm. you know, particularly yeah. the little gold ones. They're so pretty. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, but you, know, you have to flip a leaf over carefully and mm-hmm. catch it. Well, at the same time, this is a preventative uh, measure which goes toward the better of the earth because if you're doing something with low toxicity that bonds with the soil, that gets rid of the insects, which means you don't have to come back later with a little bit higher toxicity spray. So you're not wasting water. and you're Boy, just, you overthink it. I do. <laughs> I do. But that's I'm a cause and effect person. Yeah. Yeah, cause and effect. We got a caller. Let's, let's go to uh, uh, yeah. real quick. Miss Whitehead, good morning. You're in the garden. Good morning. How are uh, you today? I, Oh, I'm fine. What about you all? 
You know, for an old fat man, I'm in pretty good shape. <laughs> okay, then. That's good. I, I have two questions. One I wanted to ask about uh, growing plants in water. You know, like you have a container, you just mm-hmm. stick a plant in the water. Mm-hmm. Is there something you can put in the water to keep the insects from, I mean, whatever happens to it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, you mean like in a water garden, and then you have... No, I mean, just like, you know, you have, uh, you know, I'm always breaking off plants, oh, sticking yeah. them in water. Just right, you're rooting, yes. And yes, and then some, I just let grow in water, and mm-hmm. but it seems like some kind of little insect flies or something. Mm, well, around. I'm thinking that's where they're coming from. Is there something you can put in the water to keep that from happening? Well, there's the only, the there's a mosquito dunk. It's a bacillus product that's like a bacterium, but that works on mosquito larvae. But I what else insect? It couldn't be gnats. It, yeah, uh, no, I think probably it is fungus really? nests. Okay. And they're probably attached to the stem of the plant. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that you could probably control them with. You can get um, we call them mosquito dunks, but they also make a mosquito bits. Mm-hmm. It's a little granule that you just drop in water uh, that will it will probably fix the problem. Now, well, where can you get that? Uh, any garden center should have it. You know, go to an independent garden center. Don't you know? Not likely to find it at a box store or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, for the adults, you know, if you'll just put a light near the window it, they'll be drawn to it and then just any you know flying insect spray you can kill the adults to stop the cycle okay and then as the larvae hatch the insecticides should control those i see okay the next question is about these uh, it seemed like it's all pecan trees that have these all these big webs in it look mm-hmm. like spider webs. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Spiders or worms or what? Yeah, those are web worms. That's how yeah. I know fall is here. Yeah, <laughs> those are caterpillars. I know. I see a tree down the street. I mean, it's it just loaded. Mm-hmm. But yeah. what happens to them? I mean, do they... They just turn into butterflies or moths and yep. start oh, okay. all over again. Oh, that's okay then. Yeah. That's what yeah. happens. It, right. It, it, usually... Unless what happens it's when just, they, I think I see more of them this year than I've ever seen. You know, yeah. it, it is. It's I been a good year for them, yeah. But do it no, seem like it's more this year? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's been a good year. Normally, uh-huh. they don't do significant damage to the tree. When you've got you know fifteen or twenty of them scattered on top of the tree, it didn't hurt the tree at all. Now, uh-huh. if they totally defoliate it every year, then that can make the tree Start weaker and, and cause some issues. Uh, a lot of times we'll see, particularly in interstates, where the, it'll just totally go through the median and just get up because they're not treating them. And it happens year after year after year. Um, but in most home gardens, I don't even worry about them. Now, if, if you can take a stick and break them up, your birds will usually eat them. Uh, but nine times out of ten, I just, you just tell yeah, people, no forget worries. about them. Yeah. Yeah. They just, just look horrible. I yeah. know. <laughs> that, that is true. I just keep looking at it as a sign of fall, and that way I don't see the horrible in this. Oh, okay. in it. Yeah. That's that, another word. That's hard word. to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you so Thanks much. for the call. Thank you so much for Take the call. Take care of us, White Yeah, and, and you're saying, I noticed you accented this, or insinuated this point, Year after year, if you keep getting them and they keep defoliating. Yes. But one time, even if it defoliates the entire tree, 
it's going to recover. Yes. Most trees will at least put out a second set of foliage. But this time of year, it happens so late that it it's not going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but if it keeps happening over and over and over, your plant becomes just out of energy from constantly right. having to. Not storing enough food going into winter. It makes it weaker, slows the growth down. Um, so it may be something that you need to address. But, you know, it's hard to spray a large tree. You, you it know, really is, yeah. And things like metacloprid, which is actually a proof for pecan trees because mm-hmm. it won't get into the nuts. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't control caterpillars well. Right. So there you go. Right. And spinosin really wouldn't get through the web. Yeah. And, and then again, you got to get it to the top of the tree. Yeah. You know, remember the just, trombone sprayers? Oh, Do yeah. Do they still have trombone sprayers? You can still order them. Yeah. Yeah. So you could spray really high up in the tree. Mm-hmm. And then you could get on like a 12 foot ladder and stand and on the break very your top neck. and spray. <laughs> no, not recommended. I'm that. at the age where, you know, one one step up the step ladder is about max. You're done. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't know what it is about all that. But we're going to run to a break real quick and then we'll be right back to answer more gardening questions. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you here. Give us a call to 605-926. And let's see, we talked about flea beetles, so we're not going to have those issues next year in the garden. Hope and, not. Yeah, hope not. We're just we're just not. Do you hear me, flea beetles? I'm <laughs> telling you now. Can't do it again. And let's see, you know, I had a question about, um, they were wondering... Blueberries, okay, blueberries need acidic soil, but they just mm-hmm. had a tree cut down. They're going to take the sawdust off because pine trees are acidic, quote unquote. Um, they're going to put that around their the, the uh, fresh pine shavings around their blueberries. Don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. So, Jim, you say these things so eloquently. Can you tell us why? Well, first of all, pine bark is actually not acidic. It's lo- laced with calcium. It won't in theory, raise the pH in a compost pile. But as we've talked about many times here on the program, your soil pH is very stable. Um, adding pine bark to it is to the top is not going to change your pH. Adding pine needles to your garden, it, even if it's 10 feet deep, is not going to change your pH. So that's not something you need to be even concerned about. But when you put fresh material down... Uh, on plants, that as it starts to decompose, it can take the nitrogen from it. If it's enough of it, and particularly if it's shallow-rooted plants, annuals, perennials, things like that, the plants can suffer from that, uh, from lack of nitrogen. You also can get some pH abnormalities with it, um, Depending on, you know, if it's pine, it's, again, probably not going to change your pH, but it is going to suck the nitrogen out of there. Mm -hmm. So it's a good idea to let anything compost for six months or so. Get, it's it's better for your plants. So basically, if this happens, then it's probably going to turn yellow. It probably, you know, it could bury because it's stressing and thinking it's going to die. Yeah. And then that might be the last year you get it. But typically, they're going to turn yellow. Um, not have a lot of burying on it, and hopefully it can survive through the breakdown process until it can actually get some nutrients. Yeah, you know, your pH should be pretty low on blueberries. 
even four and a half to five is not, you know, unhealthy for so them. They're do happy as they can be. The uh, we used to do aluminum sulfate, but there's that's not a thing now anymore. Is well, it yeah, aluminum? You, uh, yeah, you can still yeah. get aluminum, you know, and particularly if you know if you're doing hydrangeas, the aluminum is what gives them the color. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that helps lower the pH and and improve your color some. But iron sulfate, coppers, is a good product to put down. The cheapest to lower your uh, pH is going to be sulfur. Just elemental sulfur or or soil sulfur will be the cheapest as far as how much you use per square foot. Uh, So Well, uh, it's amazing that how the pH has to be much lower for the blueberries and that in homeowners' yards... You have to do a lot of adjusting, but I've seen big blueberry patch growing in a field, but it was kind of on a slope as well. So I guess the water running through made it more acidic. Being out in the natural in the field where it's acidic already, possibly, but it was never, we never put anything on it to adjust the acidity and had great blueberries. Yeah, and again, it we're looking at the best product blueberries are tough obviously no plant wants to die so i mean it'll produce blueberries if your ph is up at six but Mm. you'll get better production if it's lower than that so we're looking at the optimal uh conditions for growth it's kind of like the uh, difference between thriving and surviving exactly if if you if you can get everything balanced right then you're gonna thrive you can still have nice blueberries and and a good amount of blueberries if your ph isn't proper Mm -hmm. but it's gonna thrive but and then it's funny with the the lawn the same way with the lawn it's not gonna grow very well it might be yellow it might be thin and we're fertilizing it, fertilizing it, and spraying it, and everything we could possibly be doing. And all you had to do was add lime. Yeah. Just a bag of lime. And then when you do that, the pH becomes proper, which allows the proper nutrients to be released to the plant. And then any fertilizers that you use will also be utilized by the plant. And the pH is what controls that. Right. So amazing. For turf, you're shooting for about six and a half. For most perennial beds, you want to shoot for six and a half. For azaleas, hollies, most dogwoods, you want to shoot for five and a half. You know, and there's between each point, between four and five, it's ten times more. Four is ten times more acidic than five. It's a hundred times more acidic than six. And it's a thousand times more acidic than seven. So it's tenfold each time. But it still takes the same amount of lime to move at a point, regardless mm-hmm. of where it is. Right. So, so if you don't want to figure all that math out, because that scared me right there, <laughs> then take your soil up to a local garden center, independent garden center, have them check the pH, yeah. and then they can tell you what you need to start adjusting. Right. And it's going to take about four to six months for the pH to adjust, yeah. but at least it's happening yeah, daily. It, it's starting, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, and, and I tell people, invest in one of these $20 pH meters. Mm-hmm. They're not perfect, but they're close enough to, to get you where you yeah. want to be. So, um, you know, I, I have I have one of the nice $150 ones mm-hmm. um, that has a long probe on it, but I also have, other, um, you know, I have one of those, what was, you know, when I bought it, 25 years ago it was like 10 bucks yeah uh, yeah 
Yeah, there's and, man, that, you're as only as good as your tools. That's right. You know, and there's great gardening tools out there that uh, makes it easier to garden. Oh, that's one thing I wanted to throw out. I've been to people's homes that have just been frustrated because they were trying to garden, and I think they bought them at the dollar store. And because um, they look like they're going to work fine and they work fine for like a week or so. But if you have stronger and durable tools, yeah, so much easier to do any project. Invest in a good pair of hand pruners. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, my word. That That's the thing. That way you can just walk around through the garden and just prune. Well, we've had some great questions and some good times here at the show so we're going to see you next saturday in the meantime post your questions on mid-south gardening facebook group and you're listening to mid-south gardening thank you very much come back next week see you then